Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. God bless you all tonight. I have enjoyed these, these uh, studies of the horse gate because it's really been incredible to see how um, it addresses the, all these areas where the church truly is lacking nowadays. And, you know, we want to change the world, and I think that uh, the, the fact that this book was written was no, no accident. I really think it was led by the Spirit of God as part of the plan of this church, part of the mission of this church uh, to change the world, because it truly does address uh, very important areas uh, which the church needs to repair and address. And, and like I've said before, these are things that also are very applicable to not only us as a church or the Church of God nationwide and worldwide, but to our own uh, lives and our own families. So hopefully you guys are getting as much out of it as I'm getting out of it. Uh, I'm forced to get a lot out of it because I need to prepare, right? But I hopefully you guys are, are listening and, and getting something out of it as much as I am because I've, I've truly been blessed by it. Tonight is the eighth gate. And like Pastor Joaquin said, it's the horse gate. And I was going to ask how many people, I'm getting a little bit of feedback. I was going to ask how many out, out there of you were aware of what the horse gate is. The pastor gave it away. <laughs> it's, uh, it speaks about the spiritual battle that God is expecting us to fight. But of course, like the rest of the gates, but of course, like the rest of the gates, it places the responsibility on the church to prepare God's people for this knowledge, to have this knowledge so that we are able to fight this fight. So this, this gate speaks about uh, the church's responsibility to prepare you, and you are the church, to know that you are in a spiritual battle, to know that we are in a war, to know that we are involved in a battle, and not only to know that we're involved in a battle, but to know that God has equipped us and expects us to defeat the enemy in every single battle that we encounter. To know that, that God is with us, to know that we are filled and led by the Spirit of God for a purpose. And it's not so that we can sing Kumbaya around a campfire. It's so that we can fight these battles and we can not only fight them, but we can win them. And the reason that, like the pastor was saying, the church is cowarded down and, and in the condition uh, that it's in is the reason why this gate needs to be repaired. There's a perception of the church out there, and it can happen here, it can happen anywhere, where, you know, church is seen, Christianity is seen as a place or an opportunity we have to get dressed and to come to a great place like this, see our friends, you know, see those that we love, you know, uh, break bread together, you know, plan our next event, our next picnic, our next trip, our next class, our next, uh, whatever it is, the next curriculum. And those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with those things, and they're unnecessary and, and a vital part of the physical aspect of the church. But sometimes it's easy to, when you're in all of that daily activity, to lose the awareness that we are at the same time engaged in a spiritual war, that we are engaged in a battle, that there's a war raging around us. And there's a war raging around us for a reason. It's because you have an enemy. Because if you didn't have an enemy, you wouldn't have to worry about a, a war, right? We have to be very aware that the reason that we, are, that we have spiritual battle, that we are engaged in a war, is because we have an enemy. And we have to 
be aware that this enemy does not come to do anything good. And this enemy does not come to treat us lightly. The Bible says that this enemy comes to steal from you, which means he wants to steal God's plan that he has for your life. He wants to steal your family. He wants to steal everything that he can get your hand, his hands on. He's ready to steal from you. The Bible also says that this enemy that, that we are fighting against comes to destroy. He wants to destroy you physically. He wants to destroy you spiritually. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your children before you have a chance to do anything with them. He wants to destroy your business, your finances. He will destroy anything that you don't fight for. Anything that you are not willing to stand up and rage the spiritual war for, he's willing to destroy. And finally, he's, the Bible says that he's here to kill you. He will kill you physically if he can, and he will certainly kill you spiritually if he can. If we're not able to fight and fight back, if we're not able to fight the good fight, the devil comes to, kill, to steal from you, to destroy from you, and to kill you. And the ultimate and the final destination that he has for any of those that will allow it and will not fight back is to drag our very souls to hell in the end, to the lake of fire. So as you can see, this is, this is not something that, that is, should be treated lightly. We have an enemy that's coming and he doesn't come to play. Uh, it, it's, it, this is similar to like in a real war. You can see a parallel. You know, we're, we're fighting a war in Afghanistan right now and in, in Iraq. And there's planning, there's logistics, there's communications, there's transportation, there's meal preparation, there's meetings. There's a lot of things going on. But at the same time, there are some that are shooting bullets. There are some that are being shot. There are some people that are fighting and dying in that war. And it's the same thing in the church. The same thing is happening here. We have our physical activities. We have our day-to-day -day things, uh, which are all good. But at the same time, there's a spiritual side. There's a spiritual war that's going on. There's a spiritual realm to this. And it is, it is, and it is that side that will have the determination of the very place where we spend eternity, of the very impact that we will have in this world that will determine where others will spend eternity. So this is, a, this is a war that is for keeps. This is a war that is for life and death. It is not a war that is for anything less. And let's see the words of Paul. He addresses Timothy on this subject. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. If you have your Bible, you can turn to that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight. Paul is telling Timothy here, Timothy, my son, all these prophecies, all this teaching up to now, that, all this preparation that you have had with me, all, this, all these things that we have equipped you with, that God has equipped you with, this is not for without a purpose. This is not without a reason. It's because you are going to have to fight. And he's telling him he's going to have to fight because Paul knows from experience that Timothy will encounter the, the adversary. Timothy will encounter opposition. Timothy will encounter the forces of evil trying to stop the plan of God, trying to stop that which, is, that which Timothy is called to do. So Paul is trying to warn him in these words that he needs to get ready to fight the good fight, that he needs to know that he has an enemy, that he needs to be able to recognize that enemy and then fight against those things which that enemy brings against him. So it's a stern warning from Paul. And in the same way, we have to hear those words from Paul and apply them to our own lives. 
What Paul told Timothy is also for us. We need to be aware and we need to be ready also, like Timothy, to overcome when the devil comes against us. In every single area in our lives, the devil will want to challenge. The devil will want to stop you. The devil will want to bring opposition, sadness, depression, any type of opposition that he, that he can bring against us, he will try. And that is the essence of the horse gate. If we could just understand that, we could just stop now. If we can understand that we have an enemy, the Bible teaches that we have an enemy, and that that enemy comes to rage a war against us, a spiritual war against us, and that everything that we receive here, everything that God has written in this book, is to prepare us. It's to prepare us to oppose that enemy. It's to, pre- it's to prepare us so that we can recognize that enemy. Because a big problem is that many times we don't even recognize that, ev- that enemy. We have to start there. Many times we can't even recognize that we are under attack or that a situation that is before us is an attack from the devil. And, and, it's, and you can see that it's evident in the church today that the horse gate is broken. Um, you can see God's people accepting defeat as if we had no choice. You know, you can see a, a, a man in the church and he will have a situation over his life that is obvious. And you can ask him, you know, brother, what is going on with the situation? What happened? You know, how did you get here? What are you going to do to get out of it? How can we help you? And many times you'll hear the answer, I don't know. Well, what are you going to do to get out of it? What can we, how can we help you? I don't know. And I don't know is not the right answer. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, I don't know is not acceptable. You have to understand he has to be able to identify that if, he's, that if he has a situation, an opposition in his life towards the plans that God has for him, that, is only, that can only be identified as the devil. He has to be able to say, we have to be able to say, I, have, I am under attack and I'm going to fight back. I'm not going to sit back and just accept defeat. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to identify the enemy and I, and I want you to help me. Let's pray. Let's oppose this. But sometimes we're not even able to identify. Christians sit back, like he was just saying, and they look like powerless victims. You know what a powerless victim is? It's a person that doesn't fight back. It's a person that takes the abuse. It's a person that let himself be put down and just accepts it. Just decides to be a victim. We cannot decide to be victims. God has not called us to be victims. God has called us to be overcomers. We are victors, exactly. It's the opposite of a vic- victim is a victor, right? That's the right word. And we see all kinds of examples of this in, in the church going on. And it's sad to see. You know, we, you can see a, a family that comes to church and that family may have a youth, a, a teenager, that is obviously under the attack of the enemy. You know, he may be dressed in black with a mohawk, listening to all kinds of demonic music, going to the wrong places, hanging out with the wrong kids, not wanting to come to church. I mean, obviously under attack, right? 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And sadly enough, many times you'll hear from the parents, oh, he's a teenager. It's just a phase that he will grow out of. And that is a classic example of not recognizing that that youth is not going through a phase because Our youth are not going through a phase. That is not necessary or acceptable or part of God's plan. We have to be able to identify those things as the attack of the enemy on that that teenager. The enemy is filling his mind with all kinds of lies, that he's worthless, that he's this, that he's that. The enemy has a plan for his life, is dragging him into drugs probably, dragging him into depression, dragging him into all kinds of things. And I guarantee you that phasing out of it, growing out of it, is not part of the 
devil's plan for that kid. That is only the beginning. But yet we'll have Christians sit back because they can't identify that it's the devil. They don't realize, they forget that there's a spiritual battle. And we'll just sit back and say, he'll grow out of it. And sometimes we'll watch that teenager just progress all the way into suicide. Because nobody was able to speak to him. Nobody was able to open his eyes that the devil's attacking him. That he's under attack. Nobody was able to fight or teach him how to fight. People will just be complacent and act like a coward and sit back and say, it's a teenager. It's almost like they're expecting this. Because the truth is they don't know what to do. And since they don't know what to do, they put a label on it. It's a phase. Because they can't identify the, the devil. They can't identify the spiritual fight, much less fight it. And that's why the, church, the, the horse gate is so broken. You know, or we'll see, a, a, it doesn't even have to be kids, it could be adults. You'll see a married couple, Christian married couple. And the husband may stop coming to church. He may start hanging out with his old friends again going again to the places that he used to go. And that, and that wife, not knowing how to handle it, may say, oh, it's a midlife crisis, another label that we place on situations that should be called the attack of the enemy. Because when you're able to identify as the attack of the enemy, then you know you have a fight on your hands. But when we are not even able to identify it, we place a label on it, the midlife crisis, it's kind of like saying there's nothing we can do. We just have to wait. He'll, he'll come back once he's done, once he gets over his midlife crisis. But the devil's plan is not that he come back. The devil's plan is to destroy that man, destroy your marriage, leave those kids without a father, and then take him into depression so that he blows his brains out 10 years from now. And it happens on a daily basis. But we don't identify it as the, the church. I'm not talking about the world. This happens here. I'm talking about the church's inability and those are just examples. It could be any million type of things. Those are just examples. The church needs to be able to identify these things and call it by its name. It's the attack of the devil on your life. Fight back. Open your eyes. Pray. Get help. Get on your knees. The devil is attacking, but there's an inability to do that. And it's a, that's why the church needs to open the church's eyes to this spiritual battle that I'm speaking about. So we're able to identify it. And the first step, I believe, for the church to do is to let you know and have you understand that you have an enemy. Because like I said before, if you don't understand you have an enemy, then you don't have any reason to understand that you need to fight or that you're expected to fight or be involved in a spiritual fight, right? Because no enemy, no fight. If we don't have an enemy, we don't have to worry about it. Say with me tonight, I have an enemy. That sounded like a kindergarten class. One more time. I have an enemy. That's right, let them hear you. You know what happens when you don't know that you have an enemy? I couldn't help but use this example again, and I'm sorry for those that have heard it before, because I think Pastor shared it about a month ago or a couple weeks ago. When the church started, Pastor Joaquin, because you know he doesn't do out of the ordinary things, right? He brought a big glass cage to church. This is way back when we started on Burr Road. And in that big glass cage was a big snake, a python. And that thing was this thick around. That thing was huge. I even got nervous about it. And in that, that, like I said, it was a big, it looked like a coffin with that big snake in it. And um, he wanted to teach the youth that the devil comes to, you know, to kill, to destroy, to steal from you, and that we have to be aware. Well, he then 
uh, got a big rabbit, and this is not a cute little furry type of rabbit that you would want. This was like a thumper, of like a 10-pound rabbit. This thing was, looked like a small dog. Big rabbit. And he put that rabbit inside the cage with this huge snake. And that rabbit started walking around that cage, no idea that the enemy was feet away. And that snake was still just looking at that. The snake never moved. Once it got into position, it never moved again. And that rabbit was thumping around that cage, and the rabbit came up to that snake, and I'll never forget that. I think he was trying to teach the kids a lesson. He taught me a lesson. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That snake walked up to that, I mean, that rabbit walked up to that snake's face and got face to face with it. And you know what he did? He licked the snake's mouth. And the snake was just sitting there saying, you don't know who I am, do you? You have no idea that you are inches from your death. And I don't have to tell you what happened next. It was, it was not pretty. That, let's just leave it at that. The, the, the uh, rabbit did not leave uh, that cage. Well, it left the cage, but it was inside the snake when it left. And in the same way, the church is able to look at a midlife crisis, which is the devil, and lick the face of the midlife crisis. The church is able to see a situation like a teenager that's going through all kinds of attack and sit there in the snake's face and not know what to do, not see the snake that is before him. And that is the reason that we have to understand that we have an enemy and he has a name. The name of the enemy is the devil. The name of the enemy is Satan. That is our enemy. We need to know that. And it's not a popular subject in the church. A lot of people even get uncomfortable if you say the word devil, if you say the word Satan in the church. People don't want to hear that in the church. Ah, they don't want to hear it. They want to hear only pretty things. But it's to our own detriment not to understand who our enemy is. And that's a huge part of the problem. We don't want to address it. We only want to read, you know, the, the Proverbs and the Psalms, and we don't want to address the fact that God says that we have an enemy. And God covers it thoroughly in the Word of God. And you know what? The devil loves that. The devil loves the fact that we don't want to talk about him. The devil is very pleased to sit off in a corner and say, hey, I don't exist. Don't shine the light on me. I prefer to stay in the darkness. I prefer that you be ignorant to the fact that I exist. You know why? Because the devil loves something that's called the element of surprise. Like all good criminals, right? You know what the element of surprise is? That means that you're not ready. Just like that rabbit. When that snake opened its mouth and went on that rabbit's head, that rabbit had no idea what was coming, no idea what hit him. Because the snake had the element of surprise because the rabbit was ignorant. And the devil wants the element of surprise. He wants God's people to be ignorant. He wants God's people not to understand that they have an enemy. Much less to understand that God has equipped us to whip his butt. But he does not want us to understand that we have an enemy. Let's turn off the lights a second for me in here. He wants us to be, he wants to be in the darkness. He wants us to be ignorant to the fact that he does not exist. Is that all of them? Don't turn off the air. <laughs> this is the way the devil wants to be, in the darkness. This is the best realm for the devil. He does not want us to shine the light on him. If he could remain in the darkness, in your mind, that you not know that he exists, that is where he is most happy. Where he, could not, where he can have the element of surprise 
and us be in the dark as far as knowledge, us be ignorant to the fact that he exists. But today we're shining a bright light on him. You can turn on the lights again. I thought it would be darker here. Today we're shining the light on the fact that we have an enemy and that he exists by educating ourselves. There's nothing more powerful than to know what God wants you to know. When you know what God wants you to know, you remove the mystery. Uh, And the Bible has a lot to say. You remove the fear by removing the mystery. And the Bible has a lot to say about the the, the devil or enemy. The Bible has a lot to teach us. And God did not create the devil. God did not create Satan. You know, uh, that's not how it started. God created an angel that was named Lucifer. God doesn't create anything bad. Lucifer was, uh, Lucifer means the light bearer. And he was the brightest, most beautiful angel that existed. It was one of God's top, you know, chiefs, top generals in the, in the, in the order of, of God's angels. And Lucifer had a lot of angels underneath him of which he had authority. But when Lucifer started to think that he was on the same level as God, when Lucifer started to rebel against God is when he had his fall, along with all his angels that were with him that followed him, which, which are now the demons. And that is when he became the devil. That is when he became Satan. The word devil means false witness or malicious accuser. That is why he's called the devil, because who do you think he accuses? Who do you think that he's malicious against? He tries to be malicious and accuse us. The word Satan means adversary. And the, and the word adversary means one who opposes you or attacks you. And who do you think opposes you? Who do you think he opposes? And who do you think he attacks? It's God's people. And the, the Bible is full of information about and different names for the devil. I'm going to read a few to you so you can see how many different places and how many different names God places on our adversary. In Matthew 13:39, he calls him the enemy. In Mark 1:13, he calls him Satan. In Matthew 12:24, he calls him the ruler of demons. In Matthew 12:29, he calls him the strong man. John 8:44, he calls him the murderer. John 8:44, he also calls him the liar and father of lies. In John 12:31, he calls him the ruler of the world. 2 Corinthians 4:4, 4, 4, he says uh, he is the god of this world. In 2 Corinthians 6.15, he says that he's worthless. Revelations 12.9, he calls him the serpent. 1 Thessalonians 3.5, he calls him our tempter, because he comes to tempt us. 1 Peter 5.8, he calls him the adversary. Revelations 9.11, he calls him the angel of the bottomless pit. Revelations 12.3, he calls him the great red dragon. Matthew 12.24, he calls him Beelzebub. Revelation 12.10, he calls him the accuser of the brethren. And in Matthew 13.19, he calls him the wicked one. There's, there's many benefits in us making ourselves knowledgeable about our enemy. You know, in, in, the, in the army, in the police, in all these paramilitary um, groups, they spend a huge amount of time teaching you about how to spot your enemy, about how to recognize your enemy. Because when you understand your enemy when we are able to understand who our enemy is, that removes the fear from it. Because what we fear is the, when we don't know something, when we, when we don't understand something is when we most fear it, right? When there's no more darkness, when you bring light into a subject, the fear, the fear goes. And it's important to, not to fear. Because if you, if you let, fear is a spirit. Fear is not a good thing. When you let fear come into you, 
You're either going to be governed by fear or you're going to be governed or led by the Spirit of God, but you can't have both. And don't get me wrong, there are moments where we will all fear, you know, we will all have that sensation of fear in our lives at one time or another. But it's what you do with it. It's whether you let it control you or you control it that counts. Because when you let fear in, you can't even think clearly. When you let fear in, you could forget about fighting a good fight. You're not going to fight. You're going to freeze. You're going to panic. And freezing and panic is, is, a, is a bad thing in a physical world when you have a situation and in the spiritual world because in neither one, you're, in both, you're useless. I wasn't going to give this example, but it's too fresh not to give, and I don't think it's a coincidence. Just on Monday night, I had a situation where I was working and I was with a, another officer and we were, we were trying to find a, a criminal and there was a house and I went to one side and the other officer went to the other side. And when I was going around to the back of the house, the criminal that we were looking for happened, was, knew we were there, had gone into the backyard with a machine gun and was coming around to my side. Well, thank God when he saw me, he threw the machine gun down and ran for me, ran back inside the house. So I was able to grab the machine gun and run back to the front of the house because I thought he probably has more weapons. I run to the front of the house and I yell to the other officer, he has guns, come quickly, get behind your car because he probably has more. And I'm yelling to her, come, he and I'm showing her the machine gun and she's looking at me. She has her weapon in her eyes, she's addressing the backyard and she's just looking at me like this, frozen when she saw that gun and what I was saying to her, she would not move. She froze in her tracks. Literally, her feet would not move. She was like this. And I had to yell like three or four times at the top of my lungs. The neighbors started to come out. And I had to motion to her before she finally clicked and ran and got behind her car. But that panic, that spirit of fear that came over her, that that gripped her, could have cost her physical death. And in the same way, when we allow fear to grip us in the spiritual realm, it could cause our physical death, our, our spiritual death. Like the examples I gave, parents that are unable to identify the attack of the enemy on their kids' lives and just freeze and don't do anything about it can cause the spiritual death of those kids. In the same way it happens with adults. The opposite of fighting the good fight the opposite of allowing us to be led by the Spirit of God and acting in a courageous way, because that's what God wants us to act in a courageous way. The opposite of all that is the word coward. You know, Pastor Joaquin mentioned it earlier. And the Bible has a lot to say about acting cowardly. And it's shocking to see, because sometimes we think, you know, that acting cowardly doesn't sound like such a grave sin, right, or something so bad. But God doesn't see it that way. The Bible says that cowards have no place in the kingdom of God. Because they won't fight. They prefer the darkness. You know, cowards will say, you know, hey, look, just leave me in the dark. Don't involve me in that. You know, please, you know, don't open my eyes. I don't want to see the devil. Just leave me here in the darkness. I'll be fine. I'll see you in heaven. But God does not allow that. God does not allow that in the kingdom of heaven. And one of the reasons is because it's contagious. Fear can be contagious. You know, imagine you're fighting in an army. And you have soldiers on both sides. And you're fighting there shooting a gun. Can you imagine how you would feel if all of a sudden everybody next to you turns and runs away? <laughs> what are you going to want to do? How's that going to make you feel? And it's the same way here. If we start acting cowardly, it spreads like wildfire. The same way courage can inspire your brother, acting like a coward can inspire your brother to not be courageous. And the Bible sees coward- cowardliness as a sin. 
It, God puts cowards in the same category, and I was kind of shocked, as murderers and idolaters. idolaters. <coughs> murderers. Do you know why? Because both cowards and murderers cause death. Murderers will cause your physical death, and a coward can cause your spiritual death. Let's read it a second in Revelations chapter 21, verse 8. Revelations 21, verse 8. It says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually, sexually immoral, <coughs> sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That is a serious statement. God hates cowardly behavior. Cowards and murderers end up, according to this verse, in the same place, which is hell. And it's because both have the same characteristics. Each of them don't care about their brother. The murderer will take your physical life. He'll shoot you, he'll stab you, he'll, he'll choke you, he'll kill you physically. But the coward will sit back and allow your spiritual death. And your spiritual death can be just as bad as a physical death. Because a person that dies spiritually, that, that, that dies spiritually, can end up in, in the lake of fire, can end up in the outer darkness. So they are both responsible before God for death. And God categories this as a, as a major sin. Because neither of them have godly character. Neither of them act courageously. So neither of them will enter the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Courage is a, is a key factor about this gate. The reason that this gate is called the horse gate is because the horse is an example of the character that we need to display when we're in the fight. The horse is a, is a physical example of how we have to act spiritually because a horse is a very courageous animal. I don't know if, have, if any of you have had horses or have ridden horses, but if you have, you have a good understanding of what I'm talking about. Horses, they just don't display fear. They're very agile, very fast uh, very um, dynamic animals. Um, and they have been used in, in fights, in battles throughout history. Whether you look at the Roman times or even the times of the you know, cowboys and Indians, have you ever seen a cowboy riding a chicken or a goat or an alligator or a shark or any other animal but a horse? Never. Or the Romans with their chariots using anything to pull. Have you ever seen a chariot being pulled by a squirrel or by a bird or by anything but a horse? Never. Because a horse is a special animal that, that shows courage in battle. It has characteristics that we need to adopt on the spiritual side. Let's read it a moment because there's a, there's a few verses in Job that really do it justice. Job 39, verse 19 through 25. Have you given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with thunder? Can you frighten him like the locust? His majestic snorting strikes terror. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He gallops into the clash of arms. He mocks at fear and is not frightened, nor does he turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him, the glittering spear and javelin. He devours the distance with fierceness and rage, nor does he come to halt because the trumpet has sounded. At the blast of the trumpet, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of captains and shouting. 
You know, one of the characteristics that the horse has that we need to adopt spiritually is the horse will do what the master or the rider will tell it to do. You know that you could ride a horse and you could, for, and you could tell that horse to start running and until you tell that horse to stop running, the horses, they won't stop running. A horse, you could run that horse until it dies underneath your feet and that horse will not stop running as long as you're asking it to run. That's incredible. It's the only animal that will, that will, that will literally die for you is a horse. And I remember when I used to have horses, situations where people would overrun their horses and they had to be hosed down and they would have to pull on their, on their tails because for some reason they said that that would help relieve that stress. But horses will actually die because their hearts explode from over-exhaustion. They will allow you to run them literally until they die just because you want them to. And a horse will the same way in a battle charge straight at the enemy. There could be a line of enemy on the other side, shooting guns, yelling, throwing spears. You know, they could look like, like, like the devil themselves. And when that master, when that rider says charge for that horse, that horse will run straight for that fear, that, that fearful image, <clears throat> straight towards those guns, full force, without thinking about it. And if those guys don't get out of the way or something happens, that horse will literally run them over. The horse is just waiting for instructions from its master as to how to confront that fight. How, to, how does the master want to fight this? And that's the attitude that we have to have. When the rider is on that horse, he could tell that horse what to do with his legs. He kicks that horse. That horse starts running. If he moves those reins to the left, he turns left. If he moves those reins to the right, he turns right. The rider can give that horse voice commands. And there's no fear. There's no hesitation. Do we ever fear? Do we ever hesitate? There's never any negotiation. That horse never turns around and says, are you sure? The horse just obeys. The horse starts running as soon as the master kicks it, as soon as the rider kicks it. And there is no cowardly acts from that horse. There is only courageous obedience to its master. Even if it cost him his own life, the horse will fight to the death. And that's what God wants from us, that, that level of obedience. When we identify the enemy... And the death is going to come to the enemy and not to us. When we identify that enemy, if we're able to, and I hope after tonight we're able to a little bit more than we were tonight. When we are under attack and we identify the enemy, God wants us to be obedient, to go forward, not hesitate, to not let the devil bring those obstructions to our lives and to fight that fight and to have the victory that God has, has uh, promised us. God has equipped us. We're not going to fight naked and with no arms. God has equipped us with the authority that he's given us. We have the authority and we are filled with the Spirit of God to fight these battles. We are not fighting alone. The horse has the physical presence and the physical abilities that we need to have on a spiritual side. If we're able to do that, our horse gate will be repaired. Let's stand tonight. Let's ask the musicians to come back up. All we need to know tonight is that we have an enemy. It's real simple, this gate. We have an enemy. And we've identified that enemy. It's not a mysterious thing that we don't understand. It's not a hokey pokey thing that we don't know. Our enemy is called the devil. And whenever anybody asks you who your enemy is, you call it by name. Satan is my enemy. The devil is my enemy. And God has equipped me to whip his butt. And once we're able to say that, once we're able to admit it to ourselves that we have an enemy, because it's sometimes like something we don't even want to admit. Oh, I don't have any enemies. I'm a pacifist. You know, 
I only want to spread peace around the world. Nice. God sees you as a coward. So we have an enemy. We're in a battle. You know, a lot of us love to play video games, and we're all cool when we're on the, on the video games and all that. Brother, we're, pl- we're playing the biggest, and the, we're playing the real game. We have, uh, we have an enemy that will rip your head off if you're not aware. So you are involved in the real game. You have the real bad enemy. Those little video games are nothing compared to this enemy. We have a real enemy. And the good thing is that our book says and that our God says that we are equipped to whip his butt. We are equipped to whip his butt. But we have to fix our horse gate to do that. It's not going to happen by itself. We have to be aware that we have an enemy. We have to identify the enemy. And when we identify his works, we have to get up and fight back. We have to get up like that horse and start snorting and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And when the Lord gives instructions, we have to take off like that horse until our hearts explode. And we will have the victory every time. I guarantee you, whenever we're led by the Spirit of God, there is no loss. There is no failure for the church of God. Whenever we move with God with us, we never lose. We have a guaranteed victory. That's almost like cheating in video games, right? Well, in this video game, it's fixed. We are fixed by the Word of God. We never lose. Amen.